everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up. And as we have done the last couple of weeks, this will be a combo show. We will have a preview of Der Klassiker, which will feature Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. That's how we'll start the show. But of course, after we hit the preview, we've got a lot to talk about, namely Bayern Munich's just incredible upset loss to FC Saarbrücken in the DFB Pokal. Totally unexpected. Have a lot to talk about with that. I know you guys all have a lot of thoughts on that, but let's get started with a preview for the weekend. And of course, in a match that had so much luster at the beginning of the week, but now has lost just a little bit considering the events of the last few days, Bayern Munich versus Borussia Dortmund. And what is really the marquee matchup of the Bundesliga season every year? It doesn't really matter where the teams are in the standings. And of course, this year they are in both in a very good position. Uh, but this season, of course, is a, is a little bit more dramatic. We've got Borussia Dortmund hosting Bayern Munich this weekend uh, with neither team in first place, which is always a little bit surprising to the outsiders. But as we know, Bayer Leverkusen has just been excellent this season, uh, pretty much flawless in the league. And there is not much, uh, I think, uh, people would say bad about them at the moment. But like we always do with the preview show, we will start with looking at where each team is in the table. Bayern Munich did improve its position. They moved up to second place through nine match days. Bayern has seven wins, two draws, no losses. That's good for 23 points. They have 34 goals for seven goals against a goal differential of 27 in their last five Bundesliga matches, Bayern Munich has four wins and one draw. Of course, last week was a red card mired stomping of Darmstadt, where uh, Bayern Munich was hit with a red card early, which will keep Joshua Kimmich out of this weekend's matchup. And then uh, Darmstadt decided to one-up Bayern Munich and get two red cards. So, of course, when you have that big of a talent disparity on the pitch, Things just unravel quickly, and uh, in the end, uh, Bayern stomped out Darmstadt. As for Dortmund, they are sitting in fourth place through nine match days with six wins, three draws, zero losses. That's good for 21 points. That ties them with Stuttgart, but based on goal differential, Dortmund takes the fourth place position. Uh, Dortmund has 20 goals for, 11 goals against. That's a... Goal differential of nine for all of you math majors out there through Dortmund's last five games. They have four wins in one draw. Last week was a crazy topsy-turvy match against Eintracht Frankfurt, which ended in the 3-3 draw for Dortmund. So neither team right now is probably riding super high. We do know Dortmund did advance in the DFB Pokal this week, unlike Bayern Munich. So at least they have a little bit of momentum heading into the match. But Bayern Munich in and of itself is uh, is reeling a little bit. Injuries are eating away at the team. Uh, the, the attack has not looked great. Frankly, even though they put up eight goals last weekend, that's a little bit misleading, giving the red cards that affected the game. Uh, Bayern needs to get it together. As for Dortmund, uh, it has not been a banner season for Dortmund. For as much as Bayern fans have complained about the way their team has looked over the course of this season, Dortmund has not really put together any type of football that would be pleasing to the eye. Dortmund, of course, has just an overwhelming amount of talent at this point, but 
it's it's kind of crazy. I mean, listen, when you look at Byron's roster, obviously you would take Byron's talent base seven out of seven days. But this is a very good Dortmund team. And they could be the type of team that could pose problems for Bayern Munich on the right day. Now, will this be the right day? I, I don't know. Uh, Dortmund has many, many players who are experienced, talented, and and really looking to knock off Bayern Munich. This is, of course, the blood feud in, in the Bundesliga. When we look at, at Dortmund's roster, you're going to naturally look to the star power that they have. Goalkeeper Gregor Kobel. Niklas Sula, Nico Schlotterbeck, Mats Hummels. Uh, you could even go with Marius Wolf, who has started to develop into a right back that Germany has even called upon to play for the national team. Emery Chan, who is a little bit banged up right now with a bruise. Uh, Felix Nemecha, Marcel Sabitzer, our old friend at Bayern Munich, who is really asserting himself nicely. Uh, Sabitzer was too good to be a bench player. Uh, it seems like he's getting a little bit more of an opportunity with Dortmund, so he could be a key player in the match. Julian Brandt, Gio Reyna, Marco Royce, Kareem Adeyemi, Daniel Malin, Yusuf Mukoko, Sebastian Haller, Nicholas Fulkrug. Bottom line, this is a good Dortmund team. Is it as talented as Bayern Munich? Absolutely not. But they are good, they're formidable, and they should present a challenge, especially knowing that Bayern Munich is banged up this weekend. Uh and when we talk about Byron being banged up, you really have to look at the center back situation, which has now caused this trickle down effect of people scrambling around. We don't know who is exactly going to be available at the time I'm recording this. We do know that Matthijs De Ligt is rumored to be out for four to six weeks. All things considered, probably the best case scenario, because when he first went down, I mean, my immediate thoughts were ACL. He's gone for the year. But it looks like a sprained MCL and a capsular injury. So uh, while that's not great, it's better than the alternative. But it does leave Bayern Munich extremely shorthanded this weekend. Dio Upamakano is working his way back. We don't know if he'll be ready yet. This is absolutely going to be one of those situations where uh, it, it's really always tough to pick out who Thomas Tuchel might start in a match. But this is ridiculous based on how many injuries that the team has. And the fact we just don't know who is going to be ready. So, uh, you know, when I try and make this attempt to pick out a starting 11, I don't have a whole lot of faith in it. One thing I do know that it is that Manuel Neuer will be in between the sticks. Neuer played in the Pokal match against Saarbrücken. Wouldn't say that the end result was his fault at all. Uh, it was just a stupendous amount of breakdowns and basically bad play from Bayern Munich. We'll talk about that in a little bit, though. The back line is where predicting this gets very interesting because you you have no Matthijs Delict, You have no Joshua Kimmich, who might have been the center back fill-in. We could see Thomas Tuchel opt for a back three just based on necessity. And that that's absolutely a possibility at this point. But it's very hard to figure that Tuchel's going to up and change things just based on who is available. He does have some options, but we just don't know enough at this point. Is Upa Makano going to be ready to play? Is Rafael Guerrero going to play? Seems like Tarek Buckman is not yet ready. 
So where does Tuchel turn? How does he form this back line? Usar Mizrahi did not play in the last game. So the bottom line with all of this is we're just taking a shot in the dark trying to figure out who's going to play. So we'll just assume that Tuchel's going to ride this out and play his normal 4-2-3-1, even though he really doesn't have the personnel to do it. But if I had to guess at this point, I would say, and I'm making a big presumption here that Guerrero is going to be healthy, I'm going to say that Kim Min-Jae and Alfonso Davies will be the center back pairing and that Nusar Mizrahi and Rafael Guerrero will play as the outside backs. Now, we could see... Guerrero, if he's healthy, play center back and Davies shift out to the left. I don't think it's a big deal one way or the other. I don't know. I'm really perplexed at how this is all going to work. Uh, there's just so many injuries to deal with at this point. When we look at the midfield, I mean, without Yashua Kimmich, you're really looking at three options right now. In Conrad Limer, Leon Goretzka, who has basically a broken hand at this point or broken finger, whatever you want to classify it as. And Franz Kratzig, who didn't do himself any favors in playing a pretty poor match in the Pokal this week, which, listen, he wasn't the only one, but it's enough to have done some damage to think he would be able to start this weekend. So I think you're going to have to go with Limer and Goretzka. I, I don't really want to play Goretzka at this point, because even though it's it's a hand injury and theoretically he doesn't need it to play football, it, it, there's a lot of banging that goes on. There's a lot of... Uh, a ways your hand can get hit, especially with the ball. It's a very big risk. I don't know if I would do it, but I don't know what choice Tuchel has. And you know that Goretzka being the gamer that he is, is going to want to be out there. So we'll say Limer and Goretzka in the midfield. Now, there's a lot of other things that Tuchel could do, including drop Jamal Musiala back to play the eight. Will he do it? I don't think so. I think Musiala's penciled himself in as the 10 and what he says is superseding whatever the manager might think is best for the team. So it doesn't really matter what Tuchel thinks or what I think because Musiala right now looks like he's going to be playing the 10 and only the 10. And I think that's unfortunate because I think it's not, it's not what's best for the team this weekend, but that's beside the point, I guess right now, Leroy Sané and Kingsley Coman will likely fill those voids on the wings. Uh, Serge Gnabry looked, I mean, he looked really bad. In the Pokal, when he came on as a sub, I would not start him. I don't think he's anywhere near ready. Of course, he's also battling an injury right now, dealing with that forearm injury that he suffered a couple of weeks back. This is a very bad up iron squad. And to add to the misery, Harry Kane has been battling, I believe it's a bit of a hamstring tweak, but I would expect him to go this weekend. If he can't go, then I guess we would see Chupo in that spot. This is a rough lineup. This is not the team you want to face. Borussia Dortmund is going to be motivated. They're going to be relatively healthy themselves. But the one thing about Dortmund this season is they just haven't looked great and they haven't played great. The fact that they have six wins up against those, uh, I believe it was three draws, I, it's it's funny to think about, but it, it seems kind of empty. And Dortmund, listen, they've gotten the points the majority of the time, and that's that's what's important. But this is not a team that looks good. It's not a team that's really playing all that well. I mean, they're doing enough to win, which in the end is all that matters. But it's very similar to Bayern Munich. As, as you watch them, you're seeing that the attack just doesn't look in sync. You're seeing that they have some breakdowns in the midfield and the back line. And when you see that and you <clears throat> – 
are able to 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 really like look at things and say like this this doesn't look right it doesn't look good at this point it lets you know that somewhere down the line all of these little things that have been adding up and all of these mistakes that have happened they're eventually going to hurt both Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund and we saw those little mistakes come back to haunt Bayern in the Pokal this week Will this be the weekend that Dortmund gets knocked off against a team they probably should beat? Maybe. Bayern Munich is so banged up. They're they're going to be scrambling just to get people, starting level players, just to be healthy enough to play. Dortmund should be favored at home. But somehow, someway, I think Bayern's going to pull out a 2-1 victory here. I think it's going to be an ugly game. I don't think it's going to be a fun game. It's going to be choppy. The difference maker really could be Harry Kane. If he's healthy and is able to play, I think he, this could be a game where he gets a brace, and that's the difference between a 2-1 victory and a 1-0 loss for Bayern Munich. So I'll go with Bayern 2-1 over Borussia Dortmund. I'm expecting a fun atmosphere, but a pretty terrible game, just given the way that both of these teams have looked this season. I know that might sound a little pessimistic, not super high on either group despite the overall talent levels that they have. So that'll wrap up the preview portion of this. Hang with us. We're going to take a short break and then we're going to get back and we are going to discuss that Pokal debacle. I'm not happy about it. I know a lot of you aren't happy about it. So let's wrap about it. Hang with us. We'll be right back. Hey everybody. Welcome back to the weekend Warm Up podcast. This is Chuck Smith and if you listen to our first portion of the show, you got to hear the preview for this weekend's upcoming Der Klassiker, Bayern Munich versus Borussia Dortmund. Uh, that should be fun. Might not be pretty, but it will be fun, as those matches always are. Uh, but when we talk about Bayern Munich right now, it's impossible to leap past anything without looking at the Pokal match where Bayern dropped a 2-1 def- I guess they dropped the 2-1 match up against FC Saarbrücken. And it was a game that was absolutely painful to watch as a Bayern Munich fan because a lot of the things that had haunted Bayern Munich over the course of the first few weeks of the season here, they really did come home to roost. There were breakdowns defensively. The attack was choppy as hell, did not look in sync. Connecting was a problem. It was bad everywhere. Uh, and, and I'll start with the the starting 11 was, in my mind, pompous, okay? I understand that it's the Pokal. I understand that it's the three-league aside that you're playing against in Saarbrück, and, and that really any number of players on your roster should be put in any, should be able to be put in any number of positions and should be able to pull out a victory. It was too much from Tuchel from the get-go. There are players that have looked like they should get the call and maybe get a little bit more playing time. But Tuchel went too heavy. Franz Kratzig, who has been a a really solid-looking youngster, got thrown into the midfield, and and it was a sink-or-swim situation, and he sank. was not good on the day, even though he did have an assist to Thomas Muller. Speaking of Muller, he was included in the lineup. He had the game's only goal. I would say he was one of Byron's best players, but it wouldn't. You would be hard pressed to have Muller even tell you that it was a great game for him. It was not. He was not able to connect like we normally see him doing, and he looks like a fish out of water with some of these attackers because they frankly don't see him. Uh, Muller and another new starter to the eleven, Eric Maxim, 
Chupo Moting spent a lot of time waiting for balls to come into them that weren't coming. The likes of Leroy Sané and later on uh, Kingsley Coman, Serge Gnabry, Jamal Musiala when they were getting some run as substitutes. It was more the same. They're not seeing the field. They're looking to shoot first. And frankly, uh, Musiala looked disinterested. We'll touch on him in a little bit. But Muller and, and Eric Maxim Chupomoting, they weren't able to make that great impact into the match that you would hope they would. Matisse Tell, he got more run. But he, again, sink or swim scenario, didn't assert himself into the match. Didn't look comfortable. Couldn't really make an impact. Uh, one of his worst performances. And I'm not even saying that he was necessarily terrible. By the standard set that day, he was not one of Byron's worst players. But compared to the performances he's had this season, he was not impactful. Uh, but when you really want to talk about a little bit of arrogance seeping into this, starting Bunasar right back, someone who literally could not get onto the field for a couple of years now, uh, somehow he's starting to get a regular role. And yes, I know that Byron's banged up and they've got some injuries, but fact of the matter is that Saar has never been good at Bayern Munich. And the fact that Tuchel's trying to roll him out there is confusing. Is he trying to give Saar the chance to showcase himself so that he can move on next summer? Is it legitimately that Tuchel thinks they needed someone with Saar's experience and talent level to anchor the back line? I don't think so. I don't know what Tuchel's doing with Saar, but when you throw him in the lineup, it immediately strikes of arrogance to me. And when I saw that, I was worried. I was uh, very uh, cautious about what might happen. And I know that the sub situation was not great. Serge Gnabry's coming off an injury, of course, should not have started. Kingsley Coman, you really could have argued should have started. And I don't think Coman has been great this season, but... In the end, I mean, he's a starting level winger, and I don't know that it was a situation where you could really look past Saarbrücken. Uh, Harry Kane, we know, was a little bit banged up. I understand now why Tuchel did not play him, uh, but things got desperate, and I, I don't know that sitting him for the entire match and basically blowing the Pokal for the sake of playing Borussia Dortmund and Der Klasker this weekend was worth it. Uh, you can more easily recover in the Bundesliga over the course of, you know, 34 match days than you can in the Pokal where you're one and done. And so that was disappointing. Conrad Leimer uh, has not been great, but at the same time, he was one of the only viable options you had to play in the midfield or on the back line. And he was left on the bench. Jamal Musiala. I'm actually shocked that he didn't start, but when he came on, he played like someone who was pouting because he didn't start. I didn't see that type of energy and urgency that you would hope to see out of a young player in a match where his team was facing elimination. It was a very weird and listless performance for Musiala and something I, I, I didn't like his body language. And listen, there are a lot of things you can criticize about this Bayern team, but Musiala's body language in that match to me was very striking. Uh, we saw very similar body language in his final years here from Robert Lewandowski. The difference between Lewandowski and Musiala. And listen, I don't think it was right that Lewandowski was so demonstrative with his body language either. And frankly, uh, it, I think it, it hurt the team more than it helped. But Musiala taking on some of those traits as a 20-year-old is very concerning to me. Uh, I'm just not seeing that same youthful exuberance and energy we saw last season from him. He looks... 
I don't know if it's listless, jaded, whatever. He does not look like the same kid and everything from his facial expressions to how his body reacts when something doesn't work out or, or a ball doesn't get to him. It, it has not been uh, something that I've enjoyed watching, you know, deep subs, you know, Pavlovich, Taichi, and I believe I mentioned Lovros Veronic, like those players were not going to get into the match unless it was a blowout. So uh, Tuchel did not have many options to work with. I still don't know if he set this team up for success with how he started the match. I would not have taken it so lightly. I think a lot of fans remember Holstein Kiel and how that worked out. I don't know if Tuchel refreshed himself on recent history. He wasn't around for that match, but certainly if he was, he would know that this was nothing to look past for Bayern Munich. And Saarbrücken, despite where they were, uh, uh, not a great three-league aside, they played with such heart and such urgency. And they left everything on the pitch. And I know that's cliche to say, but they actually really did. They they used up every ounce of energy they had. And that's where I think there was a difference between the two sides. Uh, part of it was heart. It's simply Saarbrücken wanted it more than Bayern Munich did. And they played with far more urgency. They played like they needed to win, whereas Bayern Munich was content settling for shots when they had opportunities to make better plays than just shooting. They didn't. They didn't make that extra pass. All those things that a team like Bayern Munich should be doing on the regular, they were not doing and have not been doing. It was extremely disappointing to see the amount of opportunities that they had and how they came away with just about nothing in the match because of the decision-making that they had. Uh, the, the easiest way to describe the game would, would be a big cluster F. Uh, Matthijs Delict going down relatively early. I mean, obviously that sent some bad vibes throughout the team. No one wants to see that. And I wouldn't doubt in a way that it affected some players because everyone knew how bad that pitch was supposed to be going into the match. And like it or not, these guys make their livings with their bodies. And it could seep into their minds that the Licht basically got hurt, in my mind, because of the pitch. And, and maybe that's being a little bit too harsh, but I don't think the conditions were great. I think that play set up perfectly in a bad way for him to get hurt, and it had a lot to do with the conditions. Uh, and, and I would not be shocked if some of the players were a little bit more cautious and when you're playing cautious, it's very difficult to play that way. You need to be brave. You need to be confident. And any shred of doubt that seeps into your mind is something that can be not just detrimental, but can kill your efforts in trying to win a game. There was a lot of blame here. A lot. I, I talked a little bit about Tuchel and his decisions with the starting 11. I talked about how the subs that came in were were non-impactful. The best of the lot was Kingsley Coman, who did rip off a good shot that was saved. But uh, I didn't like some of his decision-making. His other shot was, was airmailed. I know I like to joke about his shooting a little bit because I've been a backer of Coman, and I feel like he kind of gets an unfair reputation because he is definitely more of a disruptor than a scorer. But he's getting opportunities now and he's been pretty good shooting but he does have these moments where you expect a player at that level to be able to do better with some of the opportunities that he gets and I felt like 
some of the chances that he was presented in the, at the end of that match could have went a little bit better, a little bit stronger for Coman. I did not like the backline's performance at all. I thought Kim Min Jae had his worst performance as a Bayern Munich player, and I've been kind of up and down on on how he's looked. I I am not quite as impressed as many people have been. I don't think he's been bad by any means, but the fact that he kind of got inserted right away as a starter, as as getting one of those starting positions, I, I wasn't a huge fan of that think he's shown the propensity to get out of position defensively. He can lose some 1v1s. He's like any other defender. They're not perfect. And, and again, he's not been bad. He's been good by and large, but I haven't seen this world-class defender just yet. Maybe it's in there and maybe that will show in the coming weeks, but I haven't seen it yet. Alfonso Davies, I thought was a train wreck. Uh, and, and this is one of those things where... Davies, when he's on, he is dynamic and he is fantastic. When he's off, it is very difficult to watch because it seems like he's sloppy with the ball. His positioning goes awry. His awareness goes awry. All those things. And I thought Kim and Jay struggled with all those same things. Uh, Maybe not as much with the sloppiness on the ball, though Kim and Jay wasn't great either on the day. Uh, you could argue that he really hung Franz Kratzig out the dry on Saarbrücken's first goal as Kratzig basically got his back run through and, and the the lead up to that, that was the lead up to Saarbrücken's goal, of course. It was not good. The back line was, it was very disappointing. And I think without Delict there to really captain the ship, it's going to be very difficult. Now, eventually Bayern Munich will get Upamakano back and that will help. But the threesome of of Delict, Kim Min Jae, and Upa Makano, they need time together, and they just haven't had it. Tuchel needs to get all three of those players used to playing with each other, and that's a you know that's quite a few different combinations. So he's he's going to have to work on that. I was hoping that the first part of the season would solve that, that that all three would get comfortable playing with the the other players, and they would be able to be seamlessly interchanged. I, I don't know if that's the case at this point. And I think Tuchel's going to have to work with that in addition to whatever center back he attempts to bring in in January, because it, it does look like Bayern will be adding someone there given the, the luck that they've had with injuries so far. Uh, aside of the back line, I mean, you could go on and on and on about the attack and and, and the decisions that were made and how things look there. It, it, it just wasn't good. And, and Maybe that's the easiest way to say it, but they didn't look like they had played together. And granted, that particular combination probably had never played in those positions together before, but it it just wasn't good and it hasn't been good. And, And I guess what I'm getting at is over the course of the first few weeks of this season, we've seen a lot of performances that were good enough to win. And eventually all those little flaws that are in those you know, quote unquote, good enough to win performances in big matches, they can creep out and rear their ugly heads. And I think that's what we saw in the Pokal match. Bayern Munich did not look good, but those were all things that we had seen before sloppiness on the back line, a choppy attack, dysfunction in the midfield. All of those things were themes at one point or another. And since the season began, and I, I worry that Tuchel for whatever 
he's doing and however he's working with this team and managing the team and what his vision is for this team, it's not connecting with the players. And we haven't really heard much from the players in terms of Tuchel and how things are working out with him and how things are progressing. We're not seeing those kind of stories. And I don't know if that's because the German media is not just not producing them. I don't know if the Bayern players have nothing to say. I don't know if Tuchel doesn't have much to say on the matter, but it's it's not been good. The attack is very concerning. And I, I have harped for weeks about the lack of involvement for Harry Kane. Can't really make that a criticism of this match, given that he didn't play, but you you look at that situation and you can say for weeks and weeks and weeks, we've seen poor decisions. We've seen a shirt, shoot first mentality from the wings and the attacking midfielder. Eventually that was going to come out and hurt the team. And I think it did. And I think there's, there's definitely some interpersonal dynamics at play here. I think that some of the players aren't used to playing with each other, might not know how to play with each other at this point. I also think that there are some things going on with contracts and players looking at their futures that are weighing on them. I think Jamal Musiala and, and what we've seen come out from him, you know, the rumors that we've come out, I think they're legitimate. And I think this is partly his agent putting some things out there. I think this is partly him being unhappy and looking at his future and saying, you know, I'm the man, I need to be treated like the man, but kid, you're 20. And while you might be the man someday, you're not the man now. And if he's truly adopted that attitude, which listen, I, I don't know if he has or not. We don't know any of these guys. I can only say by, what I've watched on the field, he's been his body language has been 10 times worse this season than ever. He does not look like that same kid on the field that we saw last year and the year before that. A kid that was genuinely excited. He almost looks now like a grizzled pro at 20. And frankly, I'm not ready for him to grow up yet <laughs> because I liked seeing that kid and the energy that he brought. He just doesn't have it right now. Um and it's disappointing. I think Joshua Kimmich is absolutely been affected by this on again, off again feud with Thomas Tuchel. I think that Tuchel drawing the line that in the sand that he did talking about needing a number six and Kimmich is more of an offensive minded player. You know, Kimmich, I know Kimmich. We all know that that did not go over well. Kimmich is someone who keeps mental receipts. And he has absolutely held a grudge since that point. And he can talk about not holding, not holding a grudge or moving on or that not being important. But you know damn well for Kimmich, it absolutely is important. And for Kimmich, this is a key time as well because you, know, you have Musiala with rumors of him potentially leaving. We've seen many rumors about Kimmich potentially leaving and you factor in Alfonso Davies yet another player who has been up and down this season doesn't look like he's fully focused I think you you see that there's a lot of dysfunction right now a lot and I'm starting to get worried that this is partly caused by Tugel and it's partly caused because the club doesn't know how to sync up and link up with these players and get everyone back on the same page if there are contract issues that are bothering Kimmich, Davies, and Musiala, perhaps it's time to get some kind of talk started. I think it's absolutely valid to think that those three players, especially given how they've been 
up and down. And I would say Kimmich's been the best of those three so far over the course of the season. I think there's something to it. I think there's something to the attitude changing. I don't know if players are unhappy with Tuchel. I don't know if Tuchel's unhappy with the players. It's been very difficult to get a read on on the relationship that's there. But something's not right. And we're going to continue to see how things are choppy in the attack, how there's problems with positioning and awareness defensively, how the midfield isn't always in sync. And part of this is definitely on Tuchel for how he's used players and some decisions he's made. Clearly, he he missed the boat in thinking Conrad Limer was going to be able to come in and usurp a position from Leon Goretzka. It has not worked. Uh, Tuchel has made Jamal Musiala an unquestioned starter for the most part. And, and I don't know that that's working because is that really getting the best out of Harry Kane? Is Musiala the best facilitator for Kane? And I know there's that argument. Well, Kane and Muller, they're, they're so similar that, you know, you can't play them together. But in the end, you paid Harry Kane to come here, score goals and win titles. Right now, they're 0 for 1 on the title hunt. And while he is scoring, are you really getting the most out of him you can when you've got your 10 and your wings both trying to bang in shots at every opportunity without looking for that extra pass? And, and that's worrying me because I haven't seen that change yet. And until I do, I'm going to have some severe doubts about this Bayern Munich team and how they're going to be able to function. The Saarbrücken match was truly, it's the one that should be waking up fans. It should be waking up the club. And there can be statements of rage from Christoph Freund. There can be Thomas Tuchel talking about how he's not going to blame someone. When you come out and say you're not going to blame someone, you're absolutely blaming someone in your head. Like, I don't care. And I'm not even picking on Tugel because I mean, what else is he supposed to say? But clearly this guy knows who he's blaming on this. And, and I'm not even in the hashtag Tugel out crowd yet. I don't necessarily like the things he's done, but if you're Bayern Munich, it's going to be very tough to move on because you got rid of Nagelsmann too early. Flick left you too early. You're running out of options you kind of have to see where this Tuchel thing goes. So I'm at this point more inclined if I'm Bayern Munich to try and make this work. I just don't know if Tuchel's pushing the right buttons with his team. I don't know if the team's responding to him in the best way right now. And there are a lot of extraneous things like we talked about with contracts and injuries that are all playing a role in why this just doesn't look as good. Now, I will say it's too early to unravel. It's if you're calling for Tuchel to get fired, I, I actually understand your sentiment, but it is too early. The Pokal was was absolutely the point where it should be an official wake up call. If you weren't concerned about how the team has functioned and looked heading up to this point, then I think you're just have you have blinders on you're too much of a Tuchel fan to understand that this team has not looked good you're just looking at those end numbers and and I understand there is definitely a a way to function in your life to remain happy that you're just looking at the end result but if you're a miser like me and you're you're following the journey of each game and you're following how things evolve over the course of the season there are many red flags and levels of concern that you can have about how this team has looked they do not at this point look like a team that's going to be a serious contender in the Champions League. I had said coming into the season, I still had them at number three behind Manchester City and Real Madrid. 
I don't think they're far off from that, but the difference is that gap from where Madrid and Manchester City are is just growing between those two clubs and everyone else over the course of this season. Bayern is is concerning me. I think that there's still a lack of focus on Kane and, and making him the focal point of the attack. And until that happens, I think this is going to be a very choppy ride. I think Tuchel has to find a way to rein in some of the players. I think he's going to have to start rotating more. And you could say, yeah, well, he just rotated a lot. Look what happened. But he had really not rotated all that much aside of having to cover for injuries to this point. And I think he's going to have to. There's too much talent on the team not to be working them in. The fact that Thomas Muller hasn't played a lot is kind of a joke. The fact that Delict, when he wasn't injured, was out of favor was a joke. The fact that the moment that Leon Goretzka has a one-off half, he gets benched, it's a joke. And that's where I put the blame on Tuchel because he can control those scenarios. And if he doesn't like Goretzka to the point where he doesn't want to play him, he's going to have to take a look in the mirror because what's best, appeasing your own desires and needs or doing what's best for the club. And right now, whether any of you out there like Goretzka or not, this team has not been great functioning without him. And the the fact that he and Kimmich do have a level of understanding and communication and the relationship that they've built, it matters. And it's especially going to matter moving forward, given how the back line and the attack both have not appeared to get in sync with each other. That midfield is going to become more and more important. And if Tuchel's going to continue to have an early hook with Goretzka, if he's going to continue to tell Kimmich that he can't be a six when Kimmich absolutely wants to be a six, it's just going to further discontent on this team. And if we've learned anything about Tuchel, the guy can coach, he can coach teams to wins, but his player management skills and his communication and how he relates to players, eventually he grates on them and it wears them down to the point where teams need to make a move. I don't know if Bayern Munich will get there at any point this season, but the focus of this club and on this team is now going to put Tuchel in the spotlight. And he's going to have to start pushing the right buttons and figure out ways to connect with these players. Or we could see something like we saw last year in the second half, if things start to falter that much, where Byron gets desperate, makes a hasty decision, and grabs another name off the coaching list and tries to salvage yet another campaign. So things were bad against Saarbrücken. I don't have a lot of good things to say about the match. I will just say that it was eye-opening and very telling. If you've paid attention to any of the matches so far, like I've said before, all of those little things started to add up. Moving on from what was an absolute disaster, I wanted—I do want to touch quickly on something that I found to be interesting. And in, in, in looking over the recent news that's come out uh, regarding Musiala and those transfer rumors, we've started to see more rumors emerge about Florian Verts and linking him to Bayern Munich. We know that Verts has been very reluctant to leave Leverkusen because he has been such a focal point and it's been such a good developmental place for him. He's now really leading a team that's in first place in the Bundesliga that is going to likely qualify for the Champions League next season. And if things continue to break right for Leverkusen, they could end up in first place in the Bundesliga at the end of this campaign. Verts is 
a player who is very highly regarded. And if you saw his goal from last weekend, you could see that he's immensely skilled and talented. and He just makes things happen. Where I kind of veer off on Veritz's, and maybe this is because I'm only watching him at the wrong moments. <laughs> I, it seems like every time I watch him, he has an off game. So maybe I should stop watching him. Although his goal last week was pretty fantastic. Anyway, Verts is a player and held in such high regards that he's getting that attention now from other big clubs in Europe, whether you're talking about either the Spanish giants in Real Madrid and FC Barcelona, you could talk about Manchester city or Liverpool, both potentially having interest. There's definitely going to be interest in Verts after this season. And someone's going to make a big offer to Leverkusen with Bayern Munich. Looking at the Musiala situation, there are a couple things to consider. One, all of this Musiala talk has emerged out of nowhere. And you might say it's nonsense. I I don't believe it. I think it's absolutely legitimate. I think Musiala has some doubts about having a future at Bayern Munich, given how things have played out and the fact that he really wants to dictate the terms of where he plays, when he plays and how much he plays. I don't know that at a club like Bayern Munich, he's going to be able to do that as much as he might be able to do somewhere else. Either way, if Musiala wants to go, there'll be no shortage of shortage, shortage of suitors. When it comes to Verts, however, I'm a little bit perplexed about how he fits into the scenario. Sure, if Musiala opts to leave this summer, which seems very doubtful, making a big money play for Verts would make sense. You're going out, you're getting the best German player for that same position and you're going to ride that wave. Makes sense. But if Musiala does stay, is it justified for Bayern Munich to go out and spend upwards of nine figures on Florian Verts and really not have anywhere to play him? I mean, Musiala has shown no inclination to play either wing. So it's not as if Verts could come in and play the 10. Would Musiala drop back and play the eight? It does not appear to, like that would be an option either. So would Verts be able to jump out and play wing? He's done it a little bit in the past. I, I don't think that's a, a great spot for him. I, I don't know if Tuchel would opt to move to more of a 4-3-3 setup and, and utilize both talents, which of course would bury Thomas Muller on the bench. I, I don't know. And that's where when I see these rumors, I, I think it's natural that Bayern Munich would have interest. I think it's very natural that, that Bayern would want him. But how would he fit? What's the reality of how he would fit? And, and it's very difficult to pinpoint that without thinking that Tuchel or, or whoever the coach may be at that point would shift to a 4-3-3. I don't think you could have Verts and Musiala coexist together competing for one spot at the ages that they are. I just, I think it would be an absolute disaster. And I think many people would look at that and be like, well, why not? Competition is great. We're already starting to see some aspects of Musiala's attitude start to emerge and some things that if you're reading into the quotes, or you're reading the stories that are out there, maybe he's getting a little bit of an ego. I think Florian Verts already has an ego, and I don't think that those two competing over a role would be beneficial to the club. And I know that sounds weird because sports are basically, you know, they're built on competition, but those two together would either have to be in a formation where they could play together, which Julian Nagelsmann would probably probably have been more equipped to make happen than Thomas Tuchel, or one of them's going to have to go. And I, and I, I don't think I, I'm still at the point where I, while I believe the Musiala rumors, I don't think next summer is going to be the time that he goes. I think if Musiala is going to decide he wants out, it will be in 2025. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but 
there's definitely going to be some interesting things that play out because we we know with Verts that if he continues on this trajectory in the league, he's going to obviously gain a lot of interest. But I think that the real X factor for him is if he can get to the German national team and make a bigger impact than he's made so far, if he can really become a key irreplaceable f- player, which again, I, Nagelsmann, if there's anybody that's going to find a way to, to play Musiala inverts together, it is Nagelsmann. If he can get to that point, become an, a player that, that Nagelsmann cannot take out of the 11 for Germany, I think it's going to be too overwhelming for Leverkusen to pass up. I think that Verts will eventually, at that point, if he continues this way, decide he wants to leave, and then Bayern Munich is going to be in, in, in a very impossible situation where they're going to have to decide whether they can afford to go out and spend nine figures on Florian Verts in a, for a position they do not know if they will be able to use him in or if they're going to let him move on, much like some of the other decisions they have made in the past with the players they were interested in, like Kai Havertz. Now, it's funny to bring up Havertz because his career is spiraled downward <laughs> so, uh, since he made that move to England. And if I'm Florian Verts, and I know that many people hold Verts in a, in a higher regard than they ever did Havertz, I would be a little bit cautious about making the leap so early, uh, despite the fact he looks ready in some respects. Making that move from Germany to England or even Germany to Spain, it can be overwhelming. It can be a lot culturally. It can be a lot just adjusting to living. And I think all of that played a role in why you see some German players go over and they fail, or I shouldn't even say fail, but struggle. And for Florian Wirtz, I think with the promise that he has, I, I don't know if Bayern Munich is the right next step for him. I don't know if leaving Leverkusen this summer is the right next step for him. It's probably not. But I think he's going to have to really examine things because I do believe the offers are going to flow into him. And at that point, Verts and Bayern Munich alike are going to have some very difficult decisions to make. That's about all I've got for this episode of the weekend warm-up. I would encourage you to go back and listen to the post-game show from Saarbrück and Match featuring... I need no name who got off a nice little rant. So you should go back and check that out along with our flagship from last week with Schnitzel and Seiler, who both did a very uh, good job on that. I always encourage people to go back and check. I think all of our podcasters do a, a great job. So I'm always going to be here to pump them up and, and encourage you to go back and, and listen to some of those, but of course, stick with me as well on the weekend warm up. Hopefully at some point we'll get back to our normal schedule of having a preview show separately, which I'm hoping to get back to that next week. We'll see how it plays out, but uh, a lot of that just depends on BFW staffer scheduling. So thank you for listening. As always, you can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get our tweet meister, Tom Adams, at TommyAdams71. You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. You can get Siler at CY3LER. And you should always check out BavarianFootballWorks.com for all of the latest and greatest news on Bayern Munich and Germany. We have our great podcasters, our great writers there. Check them all out. Have a great weekend. Have a couple of beers on me. Enjoy Dare Classicer and come commiserate with me next week as hopefully we're talking about a win. We'll see you next time.